BR549. <laughs> Call Natalie. If there's nothing wrong and it's perfect and you love it, call me. If there's something wrong, call Natalie. That's the way that works. Well, I hope you had a good New Year and Christmas, and uh, I'm excited about our new study. I uh, almost had a new job, and uh, I was at uh, Walmart, and uh, a lady was staring at me. And uh, she was staring at me, and she said, uh, Hey, you're tall. <laughs> I said, uh, Yes, ma'am. She said, Would you mind getting that Diet Coke up there on that shelf for me? <laughs> I climbed up there, and she wanted Coke Zero. Anybody drank Coke Zero? I, I drank Diet Coke, but I don't like Coke Zero. Richard up there does. So Anyway, so I got her some Coke Zero, and I was climbing up there, and I thought, someone from the church is going to see me and think I'm moonlighting here at Walmart, so I'm not. Well, the Gospel of Mark. Man, what a title for the new year. Good news. Boy, we live in a time where we are searching for good news. And so as we begin a study in Mark, and my plan is I think this will work, I can take Mark all the way up to Easter. And so we'll have Mark 16 on Easter and celebrate the resurrection with Mark's account of that. If you've ever been in a car accident, you know that um, you're always scrambling to get a witness. And uh, let's pretend that uh, there is a horrendous car wreck. And we'll make it good. No one got hurt, okay? And so there's a car wreck. And it happened in an intersection where there are four different corners. And you've got four people standing on the corners. The policemen begin interviewing those who saw the accident. And the one on this corner said, Oh, I saw it clearly. And the one on this corner says the same thing. And all four people on four corners say, I saw the wreck clearly. But yet, when they are interviewed, the account of the wreck has different ideas, different testimony because of the position where they were standing. Now, get that in your mind. Because when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are like four people standing on the corner of the street. And they all see the Gospel. They all see the events of the life of Jesus in different perspectives. Now, four Gospels, God wanted. 
Why? I'm not sure. But praise the Lord, God gave us four wonderful accounts of one wonderful story. I like the old hymn that says, I love to tell the story. And when you and I sing that wonderful hymn, we think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and how that they were faithful to record the Gospel. Now, Danny Aiken from Southeastern Seminary said, God moved four human authors to look at His heavenly beauty as it was and is reflected in His Son. Matthew primarily was written to Jews. Mark was written to the Romans. Luke is written to the Greeks. John is written to the world. And so these four Gospels pinpoint the life and ministry of Jesus. Mark chapter 1 Verses 1 through 8 we're going to look at today. Now, I'm going to read the text. And then, uh, of course, we'll dive into it. But let's look at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to Him. And all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by Him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John and Luke and Matthew have a different approach in their recording of the life of Jesus. Mark is my favorite gospel, and the reason why is because one word is found time and time again in Mark. It's the word immediately. Jesus immediately moves and does this. Like in verse number 10. Immediately coming up. And so, you find that word immediately all through the Gospel. It is not only 
the shortest gospel. It is the fastest moving gospel. When someone tells a story, it drives me crazy. When they stretch it out, and I'm going, man, get to the point. Find the finish line. And so, Mark does that. Fast. Immediately. It moves. Now, Mark is famous not for what he says, but for what he doesn't say. Now, let me say that differently. Mark is famous not for what he has in his gospel, but for what he omits from the gospel. Let me name five things. No genealogy. Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, boy, that'll wear you out. No virgin birth narrative. No wise men or shepherds. No temple story of Jesus. No sermon on the mount or beatitudes. No, that's found here. But what Mark does, he begins with the most important thing. The beginning of the Gospel. Oh, have you ever heard anyone say, well, I'm telling the Gospel truth. I always wonder about people that have to say that. You know, like everything else they told you is a lie, you know. And, oh, now this time I'm telling you the Gospel. There's a funny story about Mark. If you look over to Mark chapter 14, and verses 51 and 52... This uh, little account is not found in the other Gospels. It's the story of a naked boy. A young man who runs scared and he runs buck naked. Someone grabs a hold of his cloak, leaves the cloak behind, and he just running like a We'd say in Oklahoma, a naked jaybird, all right? And a lot of people believe this is Mark. That Mark is the naked young boy. Why is that? Well, church tradition thought that. Also, this isn't found anywhere else except in Mark. And so as you read Mark 14, verse 51 and 52... A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Now, there's a good reason why the other guys didn't include that. I mean, they didn't want to embarrass Mark. So what does Mark do? Well, he puts it in himself. And so, we believe that Mark was someone who was close to the Lord in his ministry. Mark has another title from the early church. He is called 
the interpreter of Peter. In other words, Mark, we believe, sat at the feet of Simon Peter and listened to Peter's preaching. He listened to the stories that Peter told about Jesus. And Mark records the preaching, the sermons of Simon Peter. Man, what a, what a eyewitness Peter was to all these events. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Spirit of God, Mark records the preaching of maybe the chief apostle, Simon Peter. Now, Mark is called John Mark. Really had two different names, John and Mark. John, that name means God's gift. Mark, or in the Roman vernacular, it's not Mark, it's what? Marcus. Marcus. Marcus means um, one that is shining or God's gift. So, take John, take Mark, God's gift, the shining one or uh, the one who um, is polite. It could also mean that. But most of all, Mark is the interpreter of this thing we call the Gospel. Now, the word Gospel literally means good news. It is the story of how a lost man can be saved, filled with the Spirit of God, and one day spend eternity with God. That is good news. In Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, there are two wonderful themes to this section. Number one, we can trust God to keep His promise. Woo, aren't you glad? God is so trustworthy. And when God says, I'm going to do something, God indeed does it. God promised through Isaiah the prophet there would be a coming somebody. Isaiah chapter 53, we looked at not too long ago. God said, one day up there in the future, the Messiah, the Son of God, is going to come. Do you realize that between Malachi and the Gospels, are 500 years. 500 years without a prophet. 500 years without a man standing and saying, Thus saith the Lord. 500 years where there's silence. And then comes an evangelist. We're going to look at in a moment. And not just the evangelist, the forerunner, but the Messiah. John chapter 5, verse 39. John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 39. It says, You search the Scriptures 
For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they that testify of Me. I, I really don't care what book of the Bible you look in. It all testifies of Jesus. It is all His story. It is all the Gospel from Genesis to Revelation. As the old country preacher said, man, from generations to revolutions, it all points to Him. It does. God kept His Word to send the Messiah. Now look back here in verse number 1. Mark 1.1 1, 1, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Beginning. Genesis 1.1 talks about the beginning of creation. John chapter 1 verse 1 talks about the beginning of everything. But Mark goes and says, here is the beginning of this thing we call the Gospel. The good news. Well, God kept His Word to send the forerunner. Verses 2-4 through four talk about the coming of John the Baptist, the forerunner. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 both prophesied about this coming forerunner, John the Baptizer. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says there is a need for men like John. He stood his ground, condemned hypocrisy, and called for repentance and godly living. There is a need for that today. One of the things I, I like about John is that he was who he was. He did not try to pretend to be something else. I uh, uh, disdain. Uh, I have a, a sour taste in my mouth when I'm around people that put on. You know, sometimes we try to blend in. We try to be politically correct. Now, sometimes we try to do that at church. I, I know one of the things I always fight against is that, uh, boy, I want to be who I am. And if we're not careful, we sometimes try to blend in so much that we fail to be the person God created us to be. A man, if, if God's called you and anointed you and filled you with the Spirit of God to sing that wonderful old southern gospel, then you ought to do it, Ken. If God has filled you and empowered you and anointed you to sing that wonderful contemporary stuff like my Natalie does, well then, then you ought to do it. If God has called you to be eloquent and sophisticated and just say, God, out there, then you ought to do it. But man, if God's called you to be an old country preacher, then man, you ought to shuck the corn and shell the peas. You ought to do it. And so, John the Baptist, he was who he was. But God kept His Word. 
That is the theme here. God kept His Word to send the Messiah, to send the forerunner. Over in uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. There's a wonderful verse. Now, man, if you've got a pen or a marker, boy, you ought to have a, a thumbtack in this verse. It is a wonderful verse. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many as are the promises of God, in them they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. What that verse means, it means you take all the promises of God, every single one of them, God says, yes. And God's people ought to say, amen, to the promises of God. That's a wonderful verse. I, I do prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and I've got one lady in prayer meeting. She doesn't say, amen. She uses three words to close her prayer every single time. She'll pray, and then she'll say, so be it. So be it. I tell you, when she prays, I want to take off my shoes because I'm on holy ground. Her name is Betty Jo Craft. <coughs> Betty Jo will pray, and man, when she prays, it's almost like she needs to say, God, while I'm in the neighborhood. I mean, she's right there at heaven's gate. And she prays and power and authority just fall. And then she says, so be it. When I read 2 Corinthians 1.20, I want to say, God, so be it. So be it. All the promises of God are amen. Alright, number two. Number two. By the way, I think the Bible study is going to be shorter than the prayer request, Lynn. I, man, that was so long, but... Second... Secondly, number two, we find the good news is that we can trust God to send His preachers. Trust God to send His preachers. John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. It was a turning point in redemptive history. Chuck Swindoll uh, one time said, John the Baptist gives us the profile of one strange evangelist. Man, he is one strange dude. He wears camel hair. Not, not like this. He, he's eating locusts and wild honey. I guess they were crunchy. I don't know. <laughs> but this wild, strange evangelist prepared the way of the Lord. Now let's look at it. Verse number 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, John was faithful. And notice these things. He came preaching 
baptizing and calling for repentance. Preaching the Word, baptizing and calling people to turn their lives around. John did not condone sin. He abhorred it. John was one that said, this is right and this is wrong. He had a backbone. He had courage. There wasn't a yellow streak in him. He had that boldness of a fiery evangelist. I heard the story years ago of the great evangelist Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a great evangelist that preached with fire and and he was a wild man when he preached. He got on the platform one time and, and there was an antique chair on that platform. It's one of these high-brow churches. And so Billy Sunday said, you see that chair over there? That chair is the devil. <laughs> he went over there and got that antique chair and, and broke it to pieces right in front of everybody. Did he get a reaction? He sure did. They ran him out of town. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's John the Baptist. Well, John fulfilled his mission. He was who God called him to be. So not only was John faithful, John the Baptist was also humble. Now, look at verses 6 through 8. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming, who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong on his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John was a wandering evangelist. Now, three things point to his humility. He was humble in appearance. Humble in appearance. You know, uh, God's more concerned with what your heart looks like than what your outside looks like. I um, got a nephew that's a student minister. And I'll guarantee you when he does church, he doesn't look like this. And I know that we ought to dress the best that we can we ought to put on a good appearance. But I know the most important thing is the inner man. If the heart isn't right, it doesn't matter how pretty you look on the outside. It doesn't. Well, John was humble in appearance. He was also humble in his home. John did not have a mobile home on wheels. John lived out in the wilderness, in the desert. He was also humble in message. Humble in message. If you got your Bible, look over to John. Look at John's Gospel chapter 3. John chapter 3. John 3, and look at verse number 30. John 3 verse 30. 
John here talks about the bride and the bridegroom. And what John says here, if you look in in verses 28 through 30, John is saying, I am not the bridegroom. John is saying, I'm the best man. And I'm here to introduce. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And then in verse number 30, listen to what John says. He must increase, but I must decrease. I think every, every preacher of the Gospel needs to remember that verse. Man, it's not about you. It's about Him. It's not about your message. It's about His message. And Jesus must increase in our lives and we must decrease. Somebody one time said, so-and-so missed the boat as a preacher. And I said, why? And they said, well, because there was always too much of Him and too little of Jesus. It's true with a lot of people. John the Baptist would not live to be 35. He would be imprisoned and beheaded. But he was faithful and humble to the end. What a testimony. Danny Aiken again said, The world no doubt scoffed at this crazy man. However, heaven would smile. Oh, the world may call you and I crazy. Paul would say one time in the Corinthian epistle that the world will call us fools. But those of us who are saved, we know the foolish message of the world is the very power and authority of God. Mark proclaims the good news. He cuts to the heart of the Gospel. The servant of Isaiah has come. Notice back in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark says, this beginning of the Gospel is Christ. And in big bold letters, Mark says, the Son of God. He's writing to the Romans. They had multiple gods. Jupiter. Venus. On and on. Man, there were gods everywhere. Mark says he's not a one of these gods. He is the Son of God. We can trust God to keep His promise. Trust God to send His preachers. Years ago, they were doing some excavation. They found something interesting in the tombs, and also in some of the early churches. Those there, archaeologists thought that there would be signs of the cross in all these ancient buildings. But they didn't find it. Where the early church met, they didn't identify the church with a cross, but with a fish. Ichthrus. This word, I-C-H-T-H-U-S, the ichthus, 
was an acrostic that meant Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Well, what a message. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. The fish was a symbol. Because the proclamation of the early church was that we have a Christ who is God's Son and the Savior of the world. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank You for the beginning of this wonderful study. Father, as we dive into this fast-moving Gospel, may we remember that the message of the Gospel is that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God Savior of the world. In His name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great day.